Before I start chanting, what I would like to say is Kaya Wanju Wanju Nunakod. Hello and welcome. Welcome, everybody. Kaya Morich Yoga. Kaya Morich Mamani. Hello, awesome women. Hello, awesome men. Nyanyang Kwari Sandra. My name is Sandra. And I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm sitting today, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, the elders of the past, the elders of the present, and their elders that are emerging. In Australia, we begin by acknowledging the country we sit upon. Kaya, Nala, Wujo, Kwabadak, our good country. Nala Jeribin Nunok no Janju Karajan Wankan. We are happy you are coming together, learning and chatting. Bula Karajan, joint joint Baranjani. Let us share more knowledge. And I'll start the Karaniya Metta Sutta, which I think is really for these times. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness, over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, 
Freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views. The pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense-desires, is not born again into this world. Hey. Well, I'm just going to put... 30 minutes on the clock. It's funny, I've been running workshops this week and bringing the water industry together. And I've been using my bell to make sure everyone stays on time. So better take some of my own medicine. <laughs> so... The thing I wanted to talk about tonight is, you know, there's a lot going on in this country at the moment. There, there always be seems to be, and it seems to be quite turbulent times. And I guess one of the things I've been thinking about recently is how do we call into faith and reason to help us through these times. So I was asked to um, attend a multi-faith gathering on the weekend I, um, with the Baha'i community. I, I didn't actually go, but the topic was faith and reason, and I started to scratch my head and thought, hmm, what a strange topic to put up and invite all the different faiths to so I thought I would do some research and figure this out. So I think where this group was coming from is that in a Christian sense, faith and reason or what you know, John Paul II said was that faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. And in some ways, when I look at history and I look at the absoluteness of, of faith in a, in a way, a very, the very dogmatic approach which is characteristic of history, it seems like it's a fairly recent development to actually consider that faith and reason are two wings. But I think what's happened and what they were saying is that faith and reason seem to have occupied two entirely different spheres of human existence. On the one hand, we have reason, the reason of what we know, what matters most, what can be conclusively proven and that has been held up as being genuine knowledge. 
And this was kind of what the, um, in historical context, what enlightenment was about. It was letting go of the fetters of blind faith in a way and applying reason. And faith is more often being seen as the way we feel. It's something we feel, it's very personalistic, it's quite opinionated, it's quite subjective. So the challenge is to bring those two together. And this is where it becomes really interesting because once I started to delve a little bit deeper, um, I started to, to realise a bit. So the philosopher Kant argued that no unmediated perception of reality is ever possible. All perception comes through the mind. Sounds fair enough on, on um, face value. Aristotle said the cardinal principle of clear thinking is that one studies a thing according to the nature of that thing being studied. And there's something in that, right? So that gets a little bit closer because what Buddhism argues is that our minds are entirely unreliable. And they actually prevent us from seeing things as they are. And when we talk about faith in, in Buddhism, quite often it's presented in the context of the, the spiritual powers. There's five powers. There's faith, there's energy, there's mindfulness, immersion, and wisdom. So this, this, this is quite interesting as well. And the faith, when you read the suttas, the power of faith is that faith that ordinary beings can awaken, that we can transcend this very ordinary human existence where, as Aristotle quite said, quite rightly said, our clear thinking is from studying things according to the nature of the thing being studied. So we talk about the senses. We hear, we use our hearing senses. There's a certain level of consciousness around hearing. Same with smelling, same with seeing, touching. But you can't touch the mind. So the mind's really just this kind of amplifier of what it is that we're picking up from the senses. So going along this train of thought, so we need to basically understand faith a little deeper and like when when do we well what we really need to understand is what when do we rely on faith and when we do we rely on reason and as we go that during our day as we go about during a day a good deal of what we know actually comes from faith so i have faith 
But when I put my letter in the post office box, if you, anyone does use letters anymore or when I send my email, it's going to get to the other person. But I, I don't need to know the full details of how that eventuates, but I have faith that's going to happen. When I go and buy my lunch from the cafe, I have faith that the food is not poisonous. When I plant seeds in the ground, I have faith that they will grow. So, you know, I've never been to China, but I have full faith that China exists. So it's, it's, there's things that we just assume and then there's things that we, that we reason over. Things that we will draw conclusions from based on evidence and a set of premises. So we need to understand the limits and possibilities of reason to arrive at the truth of things. And that reason requires that we exercise good judgment. On the, on the basis of this good reason, we become a reasonable person. And I always thought that was quite funny when I was processing contracts at work or if I had the misfortune to have to talk to a lawyer and they'd say, what would a reasonable person assume? I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting that we ask about reasonable people given the mind is so irrational. But that's what we do. So when I think of the the issues at hand today, I mean, I've been going out on a limb lately, posting things on social media, volunteering to leave messages, as I mean, to lead meditations as part of an interfaith gathering on the weekend in support of the voice. And, you know, that's, that's just a little bit scary because there's a lot, a lot of vitriol in the community right now, a lot of confusion. And I have to ask myself, you know, why? What is it that drives me to do that? And, you know, that's a bit hard. And I was really struggling with this, actually, because in my heart I know it's the right thing to do. But then, you know, my perceptions fire up. I start to reason. And my reason gets out of balance with my faith. And then, you know, I got a bit anxious about the whole thing. And I thought, I don't quite know how to handle this. And it, yeah, it kind of reminded me of um, the teaching around the two kinds of fires. And so we've had um, Ajahn Sujato visiting 
BSWA over the last couple of months, and he's just such a wonderful speaker. And he was talking about the two kinds of fires. The two kinds of fires, which are describing suffering, basically. First kind of fire, they burn with the fire of desire, the fire of anger, the fire of delusion. So, you know, we can feel the fire in our belly and we can feel the fire of anger and delusion, but is that really right for you? Possibly not. The second fire, we burn with birth, old age and death, sorrow, grief, pain, sadness and distress. And that's the other fire. So I've been grappling with my fires. And I went along to the talk, one of Ajahn Brahm's talk, and being the assertive person I am on a good day, I asked, what do I do with this, Ajahn? You know, I'm so confused. When I, you know, look at something like the voice, and by the way, this isn't a political talk, it's, it's not politics, it's moral imperative. And, and I said to Ajahn Brahm, you know, I'm, I'm really confused because I think what it does is it calls into question who you are and it, it you know, makes me reason. And I think about my history. I think that, you know, I'm about seventh generation Australian. There's things my ancestors did which weren't quite right. I don't know what they were, but I can, I'm quite certain there was things there. So it calls, in, it calls into question who you are. And then it calls into question what's right and what you have faith in. And I said to Ajahn, how do I, how do I reconcile this? And he said, look, the thing you do is, and I get this now, I read these descriptions of faith and reason. And I look at the spiritual powers of faith, energy, mindfulness, immersion and wisdom. I'll do a bit of a mind map here. And he said, what you do, it's kind of like your meditation practice. Like, you know, when we go into meditation, we often start with this, you know, this process of calming the farm. That's well, what I do with my meditation groups. We set a little bit of an intention. We we come at it with bright view. We we are essentially we we're letting go of the judgment, of the expectation, and we we go for a process of um, noticing the senses, noticing the passing of the senses we begin to see the impermanence. And just as a, um, no, I won't go there. So you start to see the impermanence. And what Ajahn Brahm said was basically go into the heart so you transcend faith and reason in a way, and you channel your inner wisdom 
And that's what guides you. So you're guided by a place of presence. I mean, and I guess that's what I've tried to, well, trying is kind of the wrong word, but I guess that's what I've, I've applied in a situation like this. You know, when I let go of this incessant reasoning and when I let go of questioning what I should have faith in, I come into the heart space and you know this is the right thing to do. So that's something that I've been applying this week um, and in the last few weeks just to find that place of peace in amongst the, the chaos because it's hard going out on the limb and you, you do need to have that faith and that confidence, that right energy, that right mindfulness sink into that place, you could call it immersion, absorption, present moment, wisdom. So I wanted to just share that as a little personal story, I guess. I hope it makes coherent sense. And then... The last part of my little talk before we move to the meditation, I thought, well, with this level of unrest I feel in society, this level of unrest I feel in the heart, um, I sort of turned to have a look at the um, Buddhist teachings on social and communal harmony. And I'm just going to share something with you. So this is a wonderful book and there's a little, um, I don't know if you call them stories, but it's for quarrel, Kosambi. I'll just, I won't read it exactly, I'll just paraphrase a bit so I can get to reading you the lovely stanzas. So basically what had happened was the monks at Kasambi somewhere in India, had taken to arguing and quarrelling and had fallen into dispute, stabbing each other with piercing words. Then a certain monk went to the Blessed One and after paying homage to him, he stood at one side and said, Bhante, the monks here at Kasambi have taken to arguing and quarrelling and have fallen into dispute stabbing each other with piercing words. It would be good, Bante, if the Blessed One could go to these monks out of compassion. And, you know, that's not too dissimilar to what's happening in society at the moment. And then the Blessed One, or the Buddha, went to these monks and he said to them, Enough, monks, let there be no quarrelling and dispute. But the monks, they weren't done with this unfinished business. 
And I said, look, you know, this is our problem. Don't worry about it. Wait, Bhante. Let the Blessed One, the Lord of the Dharma, live at ease, devoted to a pleasant abiding here and now. We are the ones who will be responsible for this dispute. Now, the Buddha had gone to them out of compassion and they just, you know, said, no, 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 you don't need to see this stuff. I don't know if they were embarrassed or what was going on, but they, you know, they'll sort it out themselves. So anyway, the arguing and the quarrelling and the piercing with the stabbing words went on. And the Buddha went back for a second time and a third time and the response was the same. Bhante, we're the ones who will be responsible for this dispute. Now, finally, the Buddha, acting out of compassion, went back to these monks. And I'll just like to read you. It's about ten, ten stanzas from me. Majjhima Nikaya. When many voices shout at once, none considers himself a fool. Though the Sangha has been split, none thinks himself to be at fault. Sangha, country, take your pick, it's been split. They have forgotten thoughtful speech talking obsessed with words alone. Uncurved their mouths, they bawl at will. None knows what leads him so to act. It's beyond reason. He abused me, he struck me, he defeated me, he robbed me. In those who harbour thoughts like these, enmity will never be allayed. For in this world, Enmity is never allayed by enmity. It is allayed by non-hatred. That is the fixed and ageless law. Those others do not recognise that here we should restrain ourselves. But those wise ones who realise this at once end all their enmity. Breakers of bones and murderers, those who steal cattle, horses, wealth, those who pillage the entire realm, when even these can act together, why can you not do so too? If one can find a worthy friend, a virtuous, steadfast companion, then overcome all threats of danger and walk with him content and mindful. But if one finds no worthy friend, no virtuous, steadfast companion, then as a king leaves his conquered realm, walk like a tusker in the woods alone. Better it is to walk alone. There is no companionship with fools. Walk alone and do no evil, at ease like a tusker in the woods. I thought that was quite, you know, this is old ancient teachings but just so relevant for modern times 
And the other one I wanted to read was this one, The Four Means of Embracing Others. So this is um, a different sutta, but basically what the Buddha was saying was that monks, there are four means of embracing others. What for? Giving, endearing speech, beneficent conduct, and impartiality. These are the four means of embracing others. So you can see there's a certain level of equanimity in here and a lot of compassion. The whole four Brahma Viharas, living kind, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity. Giving, endearing speech, beneficent conduct and impartiality under diverse worldly conditions as is suitable to fit each case. These means of embracing others are like the linchpin of a rolling chariot. If there were no such means of embracing others, neither mother nor father would be able to obtain esteem and veneration from their son or daughter. But these means of embracing exist, and therefore the wise respect them. Thus they attain to greatness and are highly praised. So, yeah, I just wanted to read those two things to you because I think they're really important teachings for our time. And, you know, the, the Buddha did say that this was a gradual path. It's a long game of training. And it will take time. It's a, a, a time for healing. It's a time for truth-telling. It's a time for recognising. And, yeah, and time for embracing. So that's, that's what I wanted to say tonight. And I'd like to now lead you in a um, bit of a meditation. I'm just scrabbling for my books. But I guess the important thing in here is that yeah, moving beyond the, just taking the time to be respectful of ourselves, respectful of others, seeing the disillusionment, losing that desire to leap at an issue, have our say. to, you know, constantly justify and reason and rationalise, to basically lose the craving and the clinging, to see the, um, to see the, 
the dangers of of self then you will know it you'll understand it you'll know what has to be done and I stop my little timer and I'll move us into a meditation Now, I run classes with my workplace every Wednesday. And what I always say to them is that it's important to come to meditation with the right intention. And as I'm sure Viveka was saying last week, I know Ajahn Brahmali says this all the time, you know, it, it all begins with sila. Right conduct. No. Sense of reverence and morality, that truth of the heart space. So what I invite you to do is make yourself comfortable, make any adjustments that are needed. And just take a moment to come into the space. Just let the words we've heard settle. And I'll set my timer again. And look, when you are feeling a little heady at a busy day, found yourself out on the limb more than you would like, it's good to just come still. I always like to take my awareness right down to the feet. Feel the connection with the earth. Then when you're ready, Sounds like anticipation saying when you're ready, but take a moment to just set a little intention for your practice. And look, it doesn't have to be anything too profound. It can simply be for the next 30 minutes, I'll give myself the space and the grace 
to just be. I have faith in my practice, in my humanity, I know that these perceptions of sound, of feeling, are just simply that perceptions. I don't need to reason with them. I understand the space between hearing and heard, seeing and perceiving. feeling and the felt. The movements of the mind, just simply movements. So I dive down below perception and reason. Faith and immerse myself. In my inner wisdom, my knowing. As I invite the breath nowhere to be, no one to be. Nothing. Brace emptiness.
Where is your experience now? When do you experience now? Knowing that you're breathing, knowing that you're sitting, on this beautiful earth, feeling this country, seeing things just as they are. And I'd like to offer some words of loving kindness that my Noongar friends helped me write. Nyang Kwok Wien. May I be safe. May my spirit be good. Nyan Kat Kwok. May I be Mentally happy, my head and my thoughts are good. Nyan ka nyadin dien pirika kwop. May I be physically happy from my head to my toes. Nyan jenjen kulini kwop. May I walk this earth with ease. Nyan kwok wien, nyan ka kwok, nyan ka nyada jen piriku kwok, nyan jen jen kulini kwok. May I sit on this earth with ease.
Nyan kwap wen. Nyan kat kwap. Nyan kat nyada jen pirika kwap. Nyan jen jen kulini kwap. Sitting on this earth with ease. Sitting in the heart space. With love, with wisdom, Nala kwap wen, nala kwap, nala ka nyada jen pirika kwap, nala jen jen kulini kwap. May we all sit with ease, walk this earth with ease. with wisdom and love.
Where is your experience now? Who experiences now? When do you experience now?
In a few moments I'll start to draw the meditation to a close. I'd invite you to bring your hands to your heart. And feeling into the heart space, into that place of wisdom. Say thank you to yourself for what we believe to be yourself. This aggregation of perceptions. May I be safe. Nyan Kwok Wien. May my mind be happy and free. Nyan Kat Kwok. May I be healthy and well. Nyan Kat Nyada Jin Birika Kwok. May I walk this earth with ease. Nyan Jinjin Kulini Kwok. But if it feels right to do so, you bring someone to mind who's in need of a bit of care and kindness right now. And we wish for them too to feel safe, their spirit to be good. Nala. We wish for them to be mentally happy, their head, their thoughts to be good, to nourish them, to not be controlled by one's thoughts. To be well and healthy, no matter what their physical condition. And to walk this earth with ease. I'm just letting those good merits settle. as we send them out to all the beings. That make up this world. Nalakwapwian, Nalakatquap, Nalakat Nyatajan Birikakwap, Nalajanjan Gulinikwap. And to finish with another quote, not a Buddhist quote, but from the Nisargadatta. Love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. 
Between these two, my life flows. Yankan Nunakot Nunabora Jinam Thank you. Thank you. So in the spirit of walking together, what I would offer that meditation this evening, put together by my Noongar friends and myself at my work. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sandra, and thank you for giving us a new perspective on where you are from in Australia. Yeah, it's and... an interesting thing, a meta meditation, and particularly when you put um, the language in there, it can often um, feel a little uncomfortable, a little triggering. But, yeah, it's beautiful. May, may you go far in your country in healing the rift that has occurred and healing the people in their return back to the lands that have belonged to them as well. We have participated in that in New Zealand maybe 30 years ago. And uh, we are now reaping the benefits of living in a multicultural society as a result, which is very beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I love the way in New Zealand you can go to a national park or a walk and you always see the dual language signs. It's not only dual language, um, uh, Maori lands were returned and also compensations paid as well. Yeah. Yeah, and the great. result has been um, uh, wonderful improvements in education for the groups, uh, the Maori tribal groups in New Zealand, which has been marvellous for our society. That's wonderful. I've spent the day talking about fair and equitable water supplies. 
There's people in this country who still can't get safe water. But mm. anyway, um, time for Q and A. This um, just like the triple gem. This session works in threes. Okay, we're into time threes. <laughs> Yes, and um, thank you, thank you. So, if, would anybody like to unmute and uh, ask a question or offer a comment on this evening? Or would somebody like to drop something in the chat? You're most welcome to do that too. That's why you're having a think on Saturday, um, Friday to Sunday, um, BSWA along with other um groups of different faiths around the country will be having 56 hours of meditation oh. so we'll have a some of this will be live streamed so you'll be able to tune in but on saturday three o'clock our jean brahm will be doing a 56 minute meditation why 56 because it's 56 years since the last referendum, hence 56 hours of meditation, 56 minutes. One moment. <laughs> and um, Gita and myself will offer some sessions as well along with Prem. Um, but I'm happy to take any questions or comments or feedback. Hey, this is Martha. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the two different kinds of fire and suffering, because it sounded like the first one was more of the things that happened in the mind. And the second one was more of the things that happened to our body for sure that we can see birth, old age and uh, death. <laughs> That that also included the sorrow, which is more of a. Can you talk a little bit more about that so I can understand the difference more? Thank you so much. I miss seeing you on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the Wednesdays were a wonderful thing, weren't they? <laughs> it's just a, they just didn't quite last. They were impermanent. Um, well, it comes from. Um, Gita might be able to help me out with this, but it comes from this um, Yukon Nikaya. And basically, it's really just, um, well, this is the way I see it, just my personal view of it. I can't be definitive, but it's really just um, honing back into those three poisons that um, Catherine was telling us about. So the first kind of fire, they burn with the fire of desire, the fire of anger and the fire of delusion. So that's sort of, you know, lo looking at those aspects of greed, hatred and delusion basically. Our grasping, our incessant reasoning, and was it um, Harper Lee and To Kill a Mockingbird when they were trialling the um, the man, the African-American man for alleged, for alleged rape, I think it was. And there's a line in there, 
Folks always need a reason to latch on to. This man would often pretend that he was a, um, you know, he'd walk around with a paper bag pretending he was drinking because that's what folks expected of him. That's the box they'd put him into. And that was the, you know, the greed, hatred and delusion at work. So they burn with the fire of desire, they burn with the fire of anger, they burn with the fire of delusion. And then the second part was they burn with birth, old age and death, sorrow, grief and pain, sadness and distress. So it's really just recognising those four noble truths that, yes, there is suffering in this world. There's a beginning there is an end, there is a way through it. And another talk I gave last year sometime, um, I think it's also recognising those four messengers, birth, death, old age. I forget what the fourth one was, but... Mendicant, I think, ascetic beggar, something like that. No, it's more like just the very ordinary experience of existence that we are born. We're of the nature to grow old. We're of the nature to die. It's just recognising that, that, you know, there's a level of unsatisfactoriness, there's a level of fire. Um, and there's another... You know, same sounds a little bit glum, really. Everything is on fire. Everything is burning. Um, the house is on fire. Get out. <laughs> and, um, it's a beautiful saying that um, Ajahn Sajato was sharing, Sabam Aditam, everything burns. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's the general gist of where that comes from. Yes, it does. Very helpful. Okay, Thank cool. you. <laughs> cool. If no one else has another question, you can talk about how we can set an intention. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just trying to see if I can see any else in here. Uh, there's nothing in the chat at the moment. Um... Oh, the chat is silent. Oh, karma we inherit. Well, there's many workings of karma. I don't profess to understand that fully. Uh, Gita, would you like to go ahead and ask your question? Yes. Or comment? I'm, I'm um, actually just taking up, following on from that invitation to comment before from you, Sandra, um, about uh, Martha's question. Mm. Um, so I think you explained it quite well that, you know, we started, you started with the greed, hatred, delusion, the suffering that's so ingrained, it's almost our operating system. And this is the, the these three fires or poisons or unwholesome roots are what we are trying to uh, purify. And uh, so this is a, um, it's a long journey and it's it burns so if we know that it burns the more we realize that it burns the more we likely we are to um, take heed and attempt to 
to develop the antidotes, which is the generosity, the loving kindness, the wisdom. And then the second aspect of it uh, was basically the Four Noble Truths, especially the First Noble Truths, the birth, decay, sickness, death, um, grief, despair, pain, all of those things. That's another one that burns us. Of course, it's the wake-up calls, isn't it? Those are all wake-up calls when we suddenly come across this, the impermanence becomes real, and suddenly there is an urgency to look for a way of um, coming to terms with, overcome, transcend this suffering. So that's um, that's the wake-up call part. But also I think Martha was hinting at the four um, deva wake-up calls that the Buddha himself received, which was seeing an elderly frail person suffering, a sick person, a corpse, and then a, uh, an ascetic or a freedom seeker. You know. Oh, yes, of course. He yeah. saw those four, he encountered those, and for him, that was a huge turning point from having been cocooned in his palace, and he goes out and sees this, and of course he leaves the palace and takes up the spiritual path. So those are called um, messages from the devas that um, um, uh, propel us to seek a spiritual path. Thank you so much, you guys. Yes, thank you, Gita. Uh, anyone else like to unmute and ask a question? Ah, Pasindu, would you like to unmute? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my question is regarding the beginning Dhamma talk. <clears throat> I hear that no companion with tools and work alone. Can you please little bit more explanation? I would like to hear about that. If you are able to do it. Um, was that the, the reading I did? Yeah. Um, let me have a look. Walk alone in the woods if your only companion is a fool. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, I did lose the cadence on those last three stanzas. I'll just read them out again and we can discuss them together. Mm -hmm. So if one can find a worthy friend, a virtuous, steadfast companion... Then overcome all threats of danger and walk with him content and mindful. But if one finds no worthy friend, no virtuous steadfast companion, then as a king leaves his conquered realm, walk like a tusker in the woods alone. Better it is to walk alone. There is no companionship with fools. Walk alone and do no evil at ease like a tusker in the woods. So I think basically it's just, it's a bit like, um, you know, the different kinds of, of thoughts um, 
And unfortunately, sometimes you, you know, you apply that to the to those you choose to associate with. You no, know, think the thoughts you want to think, don't think the thoughts you don't want to think. Associate with the wise and skillful, don't associate with the unwise and unskillful. It's better to walk alone like a tusker in the woods. I, I think that's um in my very simple mind, that's what I see that saying. And you, you'll see that all through the suttas, like these, rep, you know, they use some quite archaic language, but, you know, choose you know, choose the people who inspire you, like choose the people who nourish you, who, who, who show kindness that you can easily show kindness towards. We, we don't have to do battle all the time. I think that's what it's saying. Gita's got a hands up. She's going to tell mm-hmm. them the real answer. <laughs> um, I, I'll give a very concrete response to yeah. that. Um, in that the uh, the Buddha often refers to the Kalyana Mitta, the good friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That uh, is, if you, if you have a Kalyana Mitta, of course, he said, it's not just half the path, it is your path whole path to have a good companion who pulls you into line who corrects you when you're going off on a tangent when your views are wrong etc so but he also says if there is no kalyanamitta if there is no one that can accompany you on the spiritual path you are better off to lo- walk alone as this this the t- uh, tusker or he also compared it to this rhinoceros the single horn of the riso- rhinoceros mm. so you can walk the path like that if if there is no uh, Kalyanamitta. But the other side of it is, of course, the greatest Kalyanamitta that we all have, those who follow the Dhamma, is the Buddha himself mm-hmm. and his teachings, through his teachings, I should say. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a concrete interpretation of the... Yeah, thank you, thank yeah, you. yeah. And there's that other lovely um, story and... and Again, you can correct me if I haven't got this quite right, but um, there's the the monk who has seen this beautiful island and he wants to go and meditate by himself. You know, it would just be so peaceful away from all those annoying, chattering monks or whatever it was that was getting his goat. So he... um, and the Buddha says, no, no, not yet, not yet. And he goes off by himself and he sits down and he meditates in his peaceful spot. And he comes back and I say, oh, well, how was it? He said, yeah, it was okay. And the Buddha says, and he says, oh, I think I've realised that, you know, good Kalyanamitta, good friends, spiritual friends, that's, Half the path, isn't it? And the Buddha said, no, no, that is the whole of the spiritual path, that Kalyanamitta. So I guess in plain language, there's a time and a place. (laughs) But the message really is, yeah, it can be lonely, but take refuge. Um, It can be... You know, you can be surrounded by people and be incredibly lonely.
but I guess it's knowing I that am. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, oh, Chris, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That Shirley. Uh, Sandra, um, I just wanted to say um, thank you. Um, very personal, intimate um, <clears throat> talk, and I appreciate that. I think it's a difficult well. I would find it a very difficult thing to do. Um, I, and I always love hearing the Noongar language. So um, uh, thank you for all those um, lovely texts and um, the translations. That was beautiful. And um, I too and lots of my friends are quite distressed at times about where the voice um, process is heading, but I just feel we uh, can do our best. and and hope for the best. So thank you. No questions. Thank you. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you too, Shirley. And Sky, would you like to unmute? Um, am yes, I unmuted? Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. you are. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. It's been great. I'm sorry I missed last week. Um, yeah, Kalyana Mitta, I'm so grateful I have a a bit of that in my life. I'm so grateful for that. But I have to come back always to the person that takes up the most real estate in my mind is my sister. <laughs> uh, she's a bit, you know, we're both difficult with each other. We're like a mirror image of two crazy women, but in different aspects. But she, her argument to me when it gets a little heated is, it's easy to love the loved. The, uh, it's easy to love the lovable or something like that. In other words, my job with her is to continue to love her no matter how difficult it is. Even if she takes me in a direction that is not uh, conducive to a peaceful state of mind. So I, I, I have my boundaries and I'm fine and it's pretty good right now. But I just wanted to drop that in because I have an aversion to difficulty and uh, we want things the way we want them. And, of course, our Kalyana Mitta keep us on track, but we have to live in the world and associate with people that, that we don't always see eye to eye with. And, um, and there's some obligation to love them and um, learn our boundaries. And I loved um, how you began... I had to deal with a second aversion because you spoke about Baha'i. And when I first met my husband, his former wife was a Baha'i. And um, so I have all these confusing things in my head about the Baha'i faith. And he has one son with that woman and they celebrate nothing. And so I'm, I'm ignorant on what Baha'i is, but I was uh, interested that you brought it up. And three times this week, very nice people have brought up God to me. I was born and raised Catholic and uh, converted to Christianity in my 20s and converted to Judaism in my 30s. And now I'm a Buddhist in my 70s. So, you know, it's interesting. We don't have time today, but another time to I'd like to hear different opinions about what people think about God. 
But on that note, I know it's 8.29, and we've got to stick to the program. I'd like to honor the Triple Gem, and thank you, Sandra, for a lovely, for me, it was beautiful, but it was challenging personally, because I'm a bit of a fidget today. But uh, <laughs> it gave me a, a lots of things to think about later. So I will be doing some reflection. Thank you so much for the... Uh, the, the language, I didn't know what language it was, but um, I couldn't identify it as what little Polly I know. So you, you would, I got you confused. You heard it before. It's Aboriginal. No, I thought so, yes. So I'm confused easily. So um, it was, uh, uh, I have to practice Ajahn Brahm a little more is to keep the windows of my heart more wide open for surprises and changes but uh i loved it thank you so much you're welcome and you know it's interesting i mean it is 8 29 8 30 or so but um in my workplace which is about oh, probably about four thousand people i've had a meditation group and um, we've come together every Wednesday for the last five years and in that group are people of all different faiths and it was quite funny last week because we were all sitting in meditation we had the lights off and this Muslim man burst into the room and obviously it was his prayer time and he just immediately started praying and then off he went. And some of my um, other Muslim friends have said to me, "We, well, you know, when I come along to your meditation session, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, the God within. So it's not, you know, the faith I read in a book or the faith out here. It's what's in the heart, that wisdom of the heart. And what I see amongst my multi-faith friends is that's there's a lot of commonality. So, you know, the multi-faith session with the Baha'i up in the hills I find quite strange. It's, and I think that's really because, you know, there's theism on this end of the spectrum, atheism on this end of the spectrum, in the middle way, which is you know, our different approach for Buddhist teaching. But to me, you know, whether you call this grace or presence or love or it's just the, you know, that shared humanity, that, that, deep space, but that's the way I look at it.